0: an advanced apology to the folks that come to the devotionals because I'm going to use an illustration that I used this week at our wee devotionals that meet in the church. Uh, I suppose if an illustration is good to use once or a few times during the week, it's good to use on uh, a Sunday. And the illustration is taken from a program that Elizabeth and I um, sometimes watch entitled The Repair Shop. It's a program on the BBC and some of you may watch it, we sometimes watch it, every day or anything like that, but sometimes watch it, especially if you've been watching something that's a wee bit, we've been watching the, uh, the series Bloodlands, any of you had watched that? And after that, you need a wee kind of something to calm you down before you go to bed. Uh, and as I'm not one to be taking a whiskey, uh, and that is my wife, then we, then we watch something like Repair Shop or something like that. And and there was one just, the, just a few weeks ago when we watched it, there was one which was a very moving story. It was a story of a Couple of a man who came to get what it is really is you bring things that are important to you to this barn, and inside this barn there's a whole host of very skilled people who can take what seemingly looks as if you know, its, on its last legs and a load of rubbish and really fit for the bin, but they can take that and make something of that and indeed restore it, not bring it back to perfection because that would take away the story of the item, but bring it back so that it's now in some reasonable state and actually can be worn or can be used or at least can be held together rather in bits and various people being various things. A, a fellow had brought riding boots that had belonged to his father who had served in the war and there were threadbare. and when you saw them, you think, well, they're definitely fit for the bin. It's amazing how they were restored and given back. Well, this wasn't a set of riding boots. This was a ring, a signet ring, with inscriptions of this gentleman's parents' initials. And the story behind this ring was that at the end of the last war, the Second World War, in Christmas 1945, there still were many prisoners of war, German prisoners of war, in this country. And the opportunity had arisen, certainly in the area where this gentleman's parents had lived and where he lived as a young boy in his family home, to be able to invite to your home some of these prisoners of war, who were now, in one sense, no longer prisoners of war. But many of them, of course, couldn't return to Germany, at least not right away, for a whole host of reasons, including the fact that their own homes and where they'd come from were devastated and were, you know, were no longer fit to welcome them back. And so, there was a whole period of transition. So, there were still a lot of prisoners. And this man, who's now in his 80s, held this ring and told the story how, at the end of the war, his had invited to their home two German prisoners of war. And duly enough, these German prisoners of war arrived. Now, these were just ordinary soldiers. They weren't the SS or anything else. They were ordinary soldiers who, like other people throughout the world at different times and different settings, had been roped into conflict. And one of them in particular had been a jeweler or certainly had worked in a jeweller's before the war. And he, in fact, both of them were so touched by the generosity of this couple and of this family to welcome someone into their home who had been their enemies. And remember, the end of the war, rationing was, in fact, got worse after the war rather than during the war. All the stories and the pictures in those days in the cinema of Belson and of all the things associated with that had become widely known. So, in many ways, you know, <laughs> your view of Dare to say of the Nazis anyway, was even less favorable perhaps then than before it was all known. Nonetheless, this couple opened their home, welcomed this couple, this two men in, and one of the fellows, the jeweler, decided he wanted to try and show his appreciation for this act of kindness and reconciliation. And, of course, there wasn't a lot of things going about at that time either to make a ring. And so he asked for perhaps an old fork or a knife, a stainless steel fork, and knife, not a gold one or a silver one. These folks that welcomed them were just ordinary working people. And so he took this kitchen utensil and he went away and he fashioned a ring out of it, out of stainless steel, which couldn't have been easy, and inscribed it with the initials of the couple and gave it back to this man's parents. The ring had been worn by his father. The ring had then been worn by the man, who, as they say, he was now in his 80s, but it had broken a number of years ago. It was broken. Plus, the man's fingers were now quite podgy, as you something to do as we got older. And so, the ring didn't fit anyway. But he wanted it repaired. So, he handed over this piece of stainless steel, just, in many ways, in terms of metal, worthless. And yet, full of the symbolism of love and care and kindness well the jeweler man took it away and it was a major major job because unlike gold and silver stainless steel is very hard and he had to cut about of an old fork or some other piece and he had to fit it in and make the ring slightly bigger then he had to smooth it all down and then he polished it up the man comes back to get his ring this ring appears now perfect you can't you couldn't see the repair slightly bigger so he could now wear it And it sparkled. And the jeweler, who had done the work, hard work, remarked on how he had wanted, and in fact he was determined to ensure this was restored. Because today it was a symbol, a powerful symbol, of how an act of kindness and love can reconcile bitter enemies. And that story, real story, and real illustration is a powerful illustration of what I want us now to read in our Bibles. And so, if you turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're returning to this book this morning. We have been looking at it for various reasons a few weeks past, and we've returned to it this morning. And we're reading these verses from Ephesians chapter 2 and reading from verse 11. Paul's writing to the church, not just in Ephesus, but the church in that area. He's wanting to build on what he's been talking about, the grace of God, and we'll make reference to that in a few minutes, and of how that impacts. It's not some theoretical thing, but like that couple who actually did tangible things, he he wants to show how the grace of God makes a difference. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 2, and reading from verse 11, Paul writes, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Of course, the words peace and reconciliation, you would expect these words to be used inside a church and especially on Remembrance Sunday. I'm sure there'll be no church up and down our land where those words aren't used. And the emphasis being that, for instance, we should be peacemakers and that we should be those who reach out the hand of reconciliation. And all that is true. But, of course, it only is true in the context of the reality of the way things are. Paul, in Ephesians, particularly in Ephesians earlier on, in Ephesians chapter 2, is quite blatant and quite bold in giving the verdict of God on the way things are in our world begins chapter 2 by saying, by writing to the believers in the church, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of As many of you know, and I hope I'm not going to bore you by being one of these doting grandpas that use their granddaughter's illustrations, but hard cheese, you're going to get one. (laughs) When we have our granddaughter and she's there and she's obviously getting about herself now at 14 months and she sits in her little high chair and she has breakfast and lunch with us. And our parents and both grandparents have been trying to get her out of taking whatever she's eating and when she's a bit fed up with it, just going... And landing on the floor. And of course she's old enough now. And grandpa, that is me. And her play a sort of game. Because she sits there. And she's eaten away. And she knows, of course. Because her mum and dad have drunk. That when she's fed she kind of hands it over. But she'll give me a look. And she'll say, hmm. And her wee hand will move over. The side of the chair. With the crust or whatever it is. And she'll kind of. And then she'll, oh dear. (laughs) And I try not to smile, nor get too angry, but say, oh no, no, and do the sign language that we're supposed to do to show that you're not supposed to do that. We laugh, but you know, my friends, if there's any need for the evidence of the doctrine of original sin, it's my wee granddaughter doing that. Because you see, my friends, and this is what Paul is saying here. You see, my friends, yes, there are wonderful and beautiful things in life. And we know that and we rejoice in that. And our hearts are warmed. I can assure you this old grandpa's heart's warmed by his granddaughter. But nonetheless, the reality is that there is built into us. And that's what Paul says at the beginning of chapter 2. Built into us is this. He says, No but I say yes. He says yes, but I say no. You can't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but everything else is there. And what do you want? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in the beauty of the world and the wonder of creation and in the great ways, and of course war and conflict often do this, they bring out The wonder of humanity, the time of COVID and the crisis we journeyed through then bringing out the warmth and the generosity of the human heart through all of that. And in all of that, we do give give God thanks and we thank each other and we give each other a cuddle because we appreciate it. But nonetheless, in the midst of all of that, we are by nature within ourselves. Those who have that tendency, as Paul tells us, the Spirit at work in those who are disobedient. And we do have that tendency to give in at times to the cravings of our flesh and to follow its desires and thoughts. The whole concept of peace and reconciliation only makes sense because we live in a world and yes within a society and within our own lives where there are things that would go against peace and cause reconciliation to break down or not to exist. And to be honest this morning, you don't need me here to point the finger and say that's you or that's me. We know if we're honest with ourselves, remember God knows our hearts better than we know ourselves, then we all have that challenge within us. In the book of Romans, Paul spends time talking about that battle that goes on within the human heart, that battle between the, the good, and I've often used this as illustration, Ur Willie sitting in the bucket with the good William saying, now, William, don't do that and be a good boy and everything else. And the naughty William, the wee demons with the wee things sticking, So come on, just go for it because it's a bit of fun, you know. And Paul spends much time, before he speaks of the wonder of God's grace, he says this, Romans 7 verse 21, So I find this law at work, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And then he says, what a wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he says, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our law. And the message at the very heart of Christianity is not some superficial whitewash or even worse in our contemporary society. Well, what now is right or wrong? It's only what you feel or what is present, you know, what's suitable for the present time or, or what is the fashion or the vogue of the current philosophy. The Bible tells us that faced with the moral conflict that exists in our world, Yes, within our hearts, there is only one answer to that world of hostility. And it is the grace of God. Paul tells us in Romans Ephesians 2 and verse 4, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of, but because of but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. And that had practical implications in the New Testament church. The passage I read earlier from Ephesians 2, and if if you're not used to the story, understand the story, then you'd find it hard to follow. But he talks about Gentiles, the uncircumcised, and Jewish people, the, the circumcised and perhaps were not aware of the great divisions that existed within the contemporary world that Paul is writing to, and especially within Israel. The symbol of that hostility that exists between Jews and Gentiles was actually a in the temple. For you see, the temple was for the people of God, the Jewish people. There was an outer court in the temple where Gentiles, including Gentile converts, could go to, but they could never go through into the inner courts They were debarred because there was a big wall and a solid gate and guards on duty to prevent non-Jewish people from going into the inner courts. And even in the inner courts, there was segregation. And even within the deepest, darkest part of the temple, there was segregation. There was a big curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies. And only once a year could the priest enter into that most holy place. And even beyond that, there was various tiers. Women and children weren't allowed into the outer courts of of the temple itself. There was all sorts of barriers, all sorts of restrictions, all sorts of grades and status and things that divided people and separated people. And of course, supremely, the Jews looked down their nose at the Gentiles. They were godless. They were without hope, and Paul talks about that, separated from God, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. There was a massive wall of hostility. But Paul is saying here that in Jesus Christ, that wall of hostility is broken down. There is reconciliation, he says. Verse 14, Christ himself is our peace By one Spirit, God's in the business of making a new humanity. That story in the Garden of Eden, often referred to in Genesis. That's why those opening chapters of Genesis are so important. And that picture of humanity and perfection. Before they ate the tree of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And men and women lived together in harmony and peace. They were naked and not ashamed. And God walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. It was paradise. And sent within the human heart is that longing for Paradise, for that new beginning, for that new humanity, for things to be the way that they were meant to be. And that's, of course, manifest in a whole host of ways, including that desire for a fresh start, a new job, a new home, the new outfit, the new car, whatever it may be remember a number of years ago as you used to when I was living in the east end of Glasgow and driving in the M8 into Glasgow to the presbytery of Glasgow which met in Renfield Street and the church there and passing by through parts of Easter House and there was a whole huge set of flats flats built in the 1950s that were beautifully restored re-roofed and re-pebble dashed and everything else and they looked wonderful not that we would have necessarily fancied it looked over the waterway but nonetheless they looked great and then I noticed over the, after a year or two that they were pulled down. And I was in conversation with somebody who was involved in the planning department of Glasgow City Council, as I was then. I said, what was wrong? Was there something wrong with the building, the structure? Oh, no, he said, and he quoted the figure. 10 million had been spent doing up these flats. He said, you know what the problem was? It was the people. New flats, but the same people. The same social problem." all we could do was just pull the thing down and scatter them to all hips and parts of the city but you know my friends that's true for all of us only God can bring about you humanity only God can break down the hostility that exists between fallen human beings and a holy God and only God can deal with the issues that cause not reconciliation but disharmony and anger and angst. I remember doing a funeral, again, dare I say, when I was in my previous congregation. I had many happy years in Mount vernon Carmile, but it certainly was an experience in many ways, a good learning experience. And it was a family, and I was aware, obviously somebody had died, I can't even remember whether it was the mom or the dad, I can't remember now, but somebody had died, obviously. And there was two brothers and and assorted members of the family. And I got the impression when I went to visit that there obviously had been problems Let's be honest, families are like that. Choose your friends, but know your relations. But it became manifest at the funeral. One lot came in first. And they sat down. Say they sat down wherever. Let's just punk themselves down here. And then the other half came in and they sat over there. So the folk that were sitting there thought, well, must be we should sit. So they got up and they went over and sat down there. Only to find the folk could sat down there. first got up and then they went over there. And this went on once or twice until the steward of Daldui Crematorium came in and told them, if they didn't they all sit down and stop this carrying on the door, they'd and that'd be it. The seeds of disharmony are at the very core of the rotten human trouble, with relationships, broken hearts, broken dreams, broken lives. Broken families, broken friendships. And God is in the business of putting to death hostility, and we're told, creating in Himself one you humanity but how is that done how is that possible well Paul tells us verse 16 his purpose is to create in himself one huge humanity to the tomb thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. This is going to be, in some ways, quite a meaningful remembrance, especially down in London. And sometime, no doubt, later on, many of us will watch the the service of remembrance at the Cenotaph in London. Although Charles, over the last few years, has been the one who went forward and laid down the the wreath of remembrance on behalf of our late Queen, she was still there up in the balcony, keeping a watchful eye, no doubt, on her son that did it right and everything else. She's not here this year. Are you King? But many have spoken of how the queen in her life, and we made reference to this at the time of her death, the queen in her life, as a follower of the King of Kings, and as a believer, as she often said, at her Christmas broadcast, especially in recent years, of her devotion and commitment to Jesus Christ, she sought in her own way to exercise a ministry of reconciliation. This is particularly true in Ireland, a country where her own loved, dearly loved relative Lord Mountbatten was murdered by the IRA in a boat off the coast of the Republic of of Ireland. A personal loss, a personal pain. And yet, through her visit to Dublin, through her attendance at the field of remembrance there, through her placing of her wreath and through her words at the banqueting house in Dublin, and then later on in Belfast through her reaching out our hand of reconciliation to one of the men whose team had been party to the death of Mount Barton, Martin McGuinness, who that time, by that time was the Deputy First Minister, those some ways simple but profound signs and efforts and demonstrations of reconciliation. But it must have cost her to shake the hand of the man who was parted to her uncle or her cousin. I can't just remember the relationships. Murder, as well as, of course, the death of so many other people. But she did it. There's always a cause to reconciliation. It's always somebody has to take the initiative to reach out the hand, to say sorry. Sometimes even to say sorry, and though in truth, you've no been the one that's caused the problem, but you say it anyway. To reach out the hand. Paul reminds us that Jesus Christ supremely has done that. At great cost to himself, we're told that God is in the business of reconciliation through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Elsewhere in the New Testament, he amplifies on that these verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says in 5 and verse 17, if anyone was in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are there for Christ's ambassadors. Although God was making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those hands outstretched, that cry to heaven, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that triumphant agony, it is finished. All tell us of a God who in Christ reconciles. A fallen and sinful world, a fallen and sinful life like mine to a God who is perfect and holy and just and true. By his wounds, the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, we are and perhaps this morning, even as we're listening to this, yes, we're going to pray, and Eva's going to lead us in a prayer in a few minutes, and we're going to remember the needs and the brokenness of the world and other things. But at the end of the day, we also need to think of our own lives. That need to reach out that hand. That need to lay aside some grievance. That need to say sorry, whatever it may be. And we think, I couldn't possibly do that. But if we're in Christ and we have the Spirit of Christ within us, the same Spirit who brought Christ, as I said at the beginning, up from the grave, then we need to ask for God's help to be servants of His reconciling grace. And lastly, The result of that is we become fellow citizens. He says in verse 19, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. One of the tragedies of the war in Ukraine, of course, and we're aware of that, is of course, that the vast majority of Ukrainian people are actually ethnically connected to the Russians, their Slavic people, and their cousins, or even direct Russians. Indeed, of course, that's one of the arguments the Russians put forward, that their people have been under trial and persecution, especially in Eastern Ukraine. And there were no doubt the fact that, yes, unfortunately, in some parts of Ukraine, in more recent years, Russian-speaking people and Russian-committed people were under pressure, and were, for instance, not allowed to speak Russian, Ukrainian is a different language, but connected, but they weren't allowed to speak Russian, for instance, in school and other places. There were, there were always two sides to the story. But of course, that does not justify what has happened. I joked earlier, you can choose your friends, but not your relations. We all know often, that it's those who are closest to us, either through family or through deep friendship, that are often the ones where we find. we don't really care for somebody that much. We can put on a face and we can smile and and just think to myself, well, I'm not going to be seeing them very often, whatever. But when we're stuck with them, when we're in the same home or the same office, the same community, the same church, the same organization, it's not so easy. It's going to take time in Russia and in Ukraine to rebuild what has happened. But in Christ, this new humanity is already involved in a building project the building project, to be God's people. He goes on to talk about being fellow citizens with God's people, members of the household built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. How God desires that the people of God, he's not talking here about building like this, But he's talking about the people of God and to be a potent symbol to the wider world with all the issues we've just spoken about earlier of that reconciling grace of God. That little ring, stainless steel, humanly speaking, materially speaking, worthless. But for that man, for that family, for that German soldier who made it, it spoke powerfully, of reconciling grace, and an effort was made to have it restored. My friends, God in Christ has made that offer, and today in this Remembrance Sunday, our society and our world, Europe in particular, needs to take that offer seriously, more seriously perhaps that we've had for many generations. For he, Jesus, is our peace maker. And we're called, if we're a Christian, a follower of the Prince of Peace to reveal to that fractured and fallen world, and yes, to our relations and to our family and friends who are estranged what it means to be reconciled to be part of the people of God to know the dwelling of the spirit within our lives and testify to the one who alone can heal our deepest wounds and bring us at the last to that place of eternal peace all praise and glory be to his name.